out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of two musicians and artists. It's the one and only Alexander Hack and Danielle Dipichato, who have a new album that has just been released called Keepsakes. They all have also got some live dates that are happening at the end of August and then a few throughout September and then quite a lot in November and a few in December. I will give you the link in the notes below. But anyway, the new album, yes, is what we're going to talk about. So look, after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that really was... Um, yes, when the album was written, I was wondering if it was a lockdown moment. But anyway, we're going to find out more now. Alexander, it's over to you. We started writing it when the lockdown was still on. No, actually, no. The lockdown was already over um, because the studio where we uh, eventually recorded the album we discovered the studio when we were first starting to tour again in the beginning of last year of, of 2022. We did a tour of Italy and we uh, played a venue in Naples, in Napoli, called Auditorium Novecento, which mm-hmm. turned out to be uh, one of the first recording studios in Europe, at least. That was established sometime near the, uh, in the mid-20s. And people like... Uh, Enrico Caruso and, uh, you know, like the big uh, Napolitanian uh, singers recorded there and they had their own pressing plant and uh, and a publishing company and stuff. And uh, and now it's uh, also a, uh, a venue. It's got a big live room. And uh, when we discovered, when we got to play in that room, I asked whether this is still a functioning recording studio. And so we recorded there last winter. Last winter. When did you write the nine tracks for the album? Uh, some. Well, basically, we um, prepared about five days before we started recording. <laughs> recording. Yeah. So we kind of wrote, composed, recorded everything within ten days because we didn't have any time before and after. It was crazy. That but was crazy. They, yeah, but the space was so inspiring that it kind of had this magical atmosphere that um, helped us. Yes, absolutely. Now, with the nine songs you've got on the album, these are all sort of personal stories or narratives about friendships that you've had. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Yes. Yes. So in your, in your 10-day writing workshop, which must have been quite incredible, did you have the people in your mind who you were writing these uh, songs about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these all the songs are homages, like love letters, if you will, to certain people that had an impact on our lives. Yes, absolutely. Because there is a slight feeling, a sort of a, a narrative as one plays the album from the first track, which is the the one which is a bit of like a butter. Uh, a lullaby to the last song, which is called The Blackest Crow, which is all about um, time draws near and we must part. So there is a feeling of kind of beginning and ending within like almost one friendship rather than nine different friendships. Interesting. That's <laughs> nice. Um, well, there's I mean, there's all kinds of stories within this whole album. Obviously, every song has its story because it's dedicated to a certain friend. And one of the things about the whole composition was that we had to find a balance between 
um, keeping our signature sound and representing somebody that we were dedicating the song to, which is a bit tricky, um, but it was interesting because musically we kind of expanded because of it. We, you know, um, we added a couple of things to our music we haven't had before. So it was it was really a kind of um, laboratory of of sound situation. Yes. And that was fun. It was fun. It's fun to expand, you know, your sound and then somehow see how you keep on being yourself nonetheless. Yes, because the second track, which I could mispronounce quite badly, but I won't. But that's an instrumental, which has a sort of quite a an interest in sort of sonic quality. So how when you were sort of thinking of that person, how did that kind of translate into into that piece of music? Eichach, you mean? Eichach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a little town on uh, in Bavaria on the on the uh, border to the Czech Republic, and um, that's uh, the place um, this dear friend Chrislo Haas came from. He was uh, one of the founders of uh, Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, the first uh, album on Mute, and right. uh, so he was like a synthesizer guru. That's why this this has you know like the synthesizer it's very heavy on synthesizers and sequences and stuff yes and no lyrics no No lyrics no No. he was a he was a quiet one he was a quiet (laughs) one (laughs) quite well you know it's quite quite a feeling but you're the second a third track anthem this is a spoken word between the two of you so what was the, the the way that that particular track came together no it's uh it's just anthem is just danielle no. Anthem? Pam Sauvage is the third one, right? Oh, wait a minute. No, I think no, I think the third track is Anthem. Yeah. And I thought that Anthem. was yeah. that was the spoken word one, wasn't it? Yes. And oh yes, the fourth one is the the one that you the more the narrative. So yes, that was um yes. but yeah, so the fourth track, which is La Femme, what was it called? La Femme Sauvage. That's right. That's the one with the two of you singing or speaking at the same time. Well, not the same time, but sort of having a conversation between the two of you. So going back to Anthem then, what? who was the kind of person that was particularly about? Um, well, basically, it's about a lot of things there. It's about, um, one. for one thing, it's about New York City, where I come from, and um, which I miss a lot always. So it's kind of an anthem to the city as a friend. And um, the person that is dedicated to there is um, a drummer called Michael Evans, who passed away last year. And um, he, for me, was very, very much New York because, I mean, New York has this kind of um, very intellectual, experimental, avant-garde music scene and always has had since the 70s, like Meredith Monk or, you know, the whole scene. And he was definitely part of that. And um, for for me, the sound of New York has a lot to do with him because that whole sound that you hear all the time when you're in the city, um, it's kind of a sound that he also represented. So that worked together really well. And a lot of the songs are like that, that they that they represent something of ourselves, but also of that person. So it was interesting to somehow, you know, do that. And we're not really naming the people usually. No. Um, but um, the people that do know them will probably f- 
recognize certain hints. Yes, because obviously working together, has that been a really nice thing to have happened in the last two decades? Have you enjoyed that kind of relationship, being able to sort of make music together? Well, the great thing about that is that we trust each other and we have on one hand a um a relationship that is very close so we uh we do not need to um well there's things that we do do not need to talk about anymore and uh, on the other hand we have also in that long time we have uh uh we have evolved and developed together so there we have a shared history which also really is very helpful if you do creative work together yes because on that previous album you did a track called black pool didn't you which features the one and only john robb yes that was yes. the one before not the, the, the yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah yes that's the one yeah. yeah so that one was called oh current was it yeah yes so what was kind of the the kind of the the kind of uh, background to that particular track i know i'm on a different album now aren't i <laughs> that's okay yes you are you are two albums back but you know <laughs> well our, our albums up to now have always somehow had like a universal theme um because you know we became nomads in 2010 we gave up our home in berlin and we traveled the world and and because of that we were very open to the th- topics that were you know um contemporary in the place that we were at the very moment and um, at that time, we were in England because we had been considering moving to England because I love England and I really, really miss being in an English-speaking country. And we went to Blackpool because um, we thought it was an interesting, a really interesting place. Um, and of course, it was during that whole Brexit pro and con and all that situation. And uh, Blackpool is a place where there were a lot of Brexiteers. And so we um, met a couple of people that were, we were there during the Rebellion Festival, too, which was interesting <laughs> and unexpected. We didn't know that was going to happen. And all of a sudden, we were surrounded by friends. That <laughs> <laughs> was very funny. And yes. other punk rockers. Yeah. <laughs> and so we took the you know opportunity of interviewing them about, about that whole theme. So that was basically you know the theme of the moment for us. That's why we interviewed John Robb and also... Uh, Kirsty Allison from London. She's a spoken word artist, and um, um, Gil Gilda Ray, Gilda Ray, who's a fantastic musician. So we kind of asked all kinds of people within the UK what their opinion was about what was happening. It was interesting. Yes. And how does it feel being a bit of a nomad? Has that changed, or are you still feeling like people who are just about sort of always passing through every place that you're staying at? Well, we still don't have an apartment as such. We have a place where we sleep at, but um, but we basically we live in our studio pretty much. We do have a studio in Berlin, and that's where we where we in were the meantime in the in yeah. the meanwhile, yeah. Um, but um, but we still uh, are not very settled. <laughs> You will. <laughs> yeah. And does Berlin, because I've done quite a few interviews with people in Berlin, there's big on the techno scene, isn't it? Techno and Berlin seem to go hand in hand. Has that sort of made much influence on your sort of own musical or creative journey? Well, I mean, um, I was co-initiator of the Love Parade in 1989. Um, so back then I was working in all the big techno clubs and, you know, was pretty much into it. 
But um, I kind of evolved since then. I still work together with Gutrun Gut of Malaria, whom you mentioned before. Oh, yes. Um, we do electronic music together. We've done electronic music for years together. So, but it's not techno. I'm not really into techno anymore because I'm just too much into lyrics and harmonies. Um, and, you know, techno is more a reduced kind of rhythmic thing. So it doesn't really have anything to do with our music at all, but it is part of my history. Yes, absolutely. And you come from a world of, of an Amer American filmmaker. So what was your sort of early kind of influences that sort of created this kind of path that you've been on ever since? Mine? Yes, yours. Um, I didn't really understand the question. I said, you know, what was your kind of path that led you from sort of being from America to where you are now in Berlin? Oh. What was, that was kind of the, the formative years, you know, that kind of period when you're 16, 18, and then you sort of travel into a different direction in life. Yes, it was a big change. Um, well, I was in New York in the 80s, and the 80s were pretty hellish there. And so um, uh, when I, I was invited to visit a friend in Berlin and 89, uh, 88, and um, she had this amazing factory where I stayed for a week. And basically, you know, everybody that was in the music scene back then would walk in and out of this factory space. It was kind of like... Andy Warhol's factory, except the Berlin factory. And it was so mesmerizing. It was like I had stepped into wings of desire. <laughs> so when I was offered to stay, because they had a free little space, I stayed. I just stayed. I didn't go back. It was like, you know, Berlin was as creative as Berlin, as New York, but it was not as dangerous, not dangerous at all. And it was super cheap. So it was like, it was a no-brainer. So yes. I stayed and I changed my whole, my whole life changed. It was like a huge um sharp left turn or something and was that the early 80s or uh, um late 80s 80. that was 88 right gee that's amazing because i visited with a friend to berlin who was living there sorry to go off here in 87 he said we said you know he just said oh you can go out and just have a good time don't worry you won't get beaten up and i was thinking yeah but i'd get beaten up in my small town in in england you know but he said no it's completely safe and it was like oh it's true you won't get beaten up and mugged it was i'm sure you could have done if you really tried but it was kind of a strange night scene wasn't it well, that was the really fascinating thing about it. And the very, I think one time in the history that there's a city that was is as poor or was as poor as Berlin, but not dangerous. Because usually if a city's poor, it's dangerous. But it what really was so safe that I, as a girl, I mean, I was in my early 20s back then, I could walk away around anywhere in the darkest spots and the in the most underground decrepit places and, and as a woman I never had to be scared it was quite incredible especially coming up out of New York where everything was dangerous yes I could imagine also, Berlin <laughs> Berlin differs from other German cities in that respect you know people here are loudmouth you know there's there's a big bravado you know and and lots of curses and and uh loud uh, verbal battles are being held but it it hardly ever comes or back in the day at least it hardly ever came to violence where uh, as opposed to places like hamburg where where you could where you could get beat up quite quite easily Yes, absolutely. I think it because because wasn't it the case though that you could avoid conscription by going to Berlin if you were you know in Germany you would have had the national service so you yes. you know but if you came to Berlin so it meant you probably that kind of weeded out you could be an anarcho anarchist but you probably wouldn't want to sort of shoot people you just want to I don't know 
just hate the police or something quite like that. It was basically <laughs> the the dropouts, you know, and of course, you know, the hippies in the in the sixties, and uh, it was a very um, it was a very happy place for a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it, like every city, it has its ups and downs. Yes, the Weimar Republic. Yes. I went to see, was it Barry Humphreys and Meow Meow doing the songs of the, the you know, 30s and 20s and 30s of Germany, which was fantastic. So um, there you go. It has that kind of connotation, doesn't it? So when did the two of you decide to start? I mean, you're obviously in a relationship, but when did you think, right, let's become a sort of a, a double act and start recording albums? Um, when we, well, we, we had known each other since 87 or you know, for for many many years, we we were friends and and we were in the same group of people, but uh, we were always, you know, West Berlin was very incestuous. We were always involved with somebody other somebody else, and so when we finally got together, um, we uh, we would uh, do audio visual performances, uh, develop uh, conceive uh, audio visual performances together where the visual part would be as important as the audio part and vice versa. And, um, and we did that for a while. And, but that, that thing kind of mutated into sort of a band more or less when around 2010, when we had already worked together for about 10 years, um, when we started to become nomads and then we would, uh, we, would develop the the particular sound that we are doing now. Yes, because you've got a phenomenal back, you know, your discography is quite incredible, the amount of bands and artists and experiences you've had. had was that quite, an, for you, a, a sort of a nice, nice, I'm not sure if it's the best word, but, you know, an experience you thought, actually, this is going to be a little bit more easy than it has been in my other musical kind of setups and combos? Well, it it is both, but but as I said before, uh, with Danielle, we have a we have a level of trust that you usually would not have with colleagues or other musician friends. Like we we uh, we communicate on a on an entirely different level, I suppose. And we didn't really know if we would be able to find a sound that would work for both of us, because basically, I come from a classic upbringing. I learned violin and piano very early on. And then I had a hip hop band in between where I was rapping, I play keyboard and stuff. And Alex comes from the Neubauten, you know, um, experimental uh, scene. And we weren't sure if that was going to somehow function. My little old instruments that are not electronic and his, he's, you know, bass, guitar, drums. Um, and so during that whole time when we were doing the audiovisual songs, we were kind of experimenting with like how how to find a specific sound that would be okay for both of us. Because I'm not I'm not usually very loud or heavy, and Alex, of course, is usually quite loud and heavy. And I play, you know, melodies that are on instruments that are old, like really old, like the hurdy gurdy and stuff. So we weren't sure if it would work out. But um, we did finally find a way how to do it in the desert in Joshua Tree, interestingly enough. It somehow suddenly went click when we realized that it's going to work out if we just each do exactly what we do, but respect the other person. And for some really weird reason, it suddenly worked out before we were trying ballads and, you know, all kinds of electronic things. But it wasn't us and it wasn't working and it wasn't gelling. And then suddenly 
in the desert, it worked out. And we were like, wow, we found something that works. Yes. So that was interesting. It was, it was, it took us about 10 years to find that. Yes. Yeah, the thing was that we, uh, when we left architectural structures behind, we, we started to think, why are we confining ourselves in musical structures such as verses and then the choruses and and uh, middle eights and and th these kind of things and we decided to um to find a different way to communicate within the music uh, and develop a music that is built entirely on our interaction rather than having both of us confined within a structure within a Yes, and you, because you mentioned the the hurdy gurdy, which is one of my favourite instruments. Because there was a folk band who'd still going, but they started in the seventies, based on the hurdy gurdy and this kind of amazing drone. You know, this kind of like, which kind of gives it the the kind of musical palette, this kind of real bass. You know, this you know, a layer, which kind of other instruments can sort of work on. Do was that an instrument that you kind of developed when you were younger, at sort of college? Not really, no. I've always loved odd sounds. I just love it. It, it just, you know, I get, I'm attracted to it like a dog to a sausage. Um, <laughs> and I saw, I saw, I'm always on the search and hunt for strange sounds. And I saw a video once online. I think it must have been around 2008 or something of this old hurdy-gurdy player, player in Prague. Czech Republic and we actually even got to see him when we were in Prague and it just blew me away it it's really so blew me away busking. it was amazing yeah he was busking he was so good there's a couple of videos on him of him online and so then I checked you know I was looking around but the instruments are extremely expensive like a real good hurdy-gurdy costs about 5,000 euros or something that was way too expensive for me so I kind of put that thought aside and then Alex discovered um, a Polish instrument maker and he gave me one for my birthday that was you know affordable and so i was in heaven and been playing ever since <laughs> yes it's it's got a magical quality to it which is kind of quite transcendental do you know when you're putting the tracks together do you know that moment where you think that's complete now that's we don't have to sort of do anything else that's 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 it we can say that's a done usually the track telling us when when it demands no more, when or when it demands to be left alone, that's that's something that the that the the track, the piece dictates. You know, uh, even though we might be ambitious to to try all kinds of things, um, the track says like no enough, or uh, or we may be uh, you know we we may be wanting to. Uh, go a completely different direction and sometimes the, the track just um just stops you right in your tracks as tracks do <laughs> <laughs> with with this particular album then you virtually had one day for each track to write it and record it did yes. that mean that you completed each one individually you didn't sort of put one to one side thing is nearly but we we're gonna have to get on with this next song did you complete each one each day we always do that. I'm. Um, it's mainly because of me, because Alex likes doing that. That he does like Jump different about. jumps, jumps yeah. around. But I, I, I can't work like that. It's one of my limitations. I kind of have to really dive into a song to the hilt, completely immerse myself in it, have it 
become the figure it's supposed to become and then go to the next one. I'm a multitasker, but not when I compose songs. <laughs> no, I, I mean that's that's one of the one of the parameters in in our productions is is we have to be efficient within everything we do because we usually don't have a lot of time. And uh, on the other hand, we also, it's just the two of us. So we always have to keep in mind that what we do, what we record, we will have to be able to perform that or at least represent it in, in one way or another with just the two of us. And that it involves instruments that we will have to schlep around. And, um, you know, so uh, that's that's always one thing that we have in mind, you know, like we, we might be, uh, you know, up to great uh, orchestral arrangements, but then we have to remind ourselves that it's just the two of us. Yes, absolutely. Because there was another, I think it was, um, is it Love Stuff? That's another one of those tracks on the album that both of you, is this, you're both duetting on this one as well, aren't you? Yes. And mm -hmm. what? Was, and who was the person, if you can say, who? how did that in song, what was the inspiration for that particular track? Well, we usually don't say that much, but this time in this case, we'll say one more. And this case, this song <laughs> was ded is dedicated to somebody who was very important to both of us, um, Anita Lane. Um, and she was a close, very, very close friend of mine and a close friend of Alex's. And um, the, the lyrics are really personal. I mean, some of them are actually from texts that we wrote to, to, to each other. And because it's because both of us were so entwined with her story, we thought it would be good to sing an entwined kind of, you know, um, chorus throughout. Right. Yeah. Yes. God, that's quite amazing. Because did you, I mean, with the track listing, was it kind of intentional to finish with, you know, The Blackest Crow, which has this kind of rather... You know, it's almost like David Bowie's Black Star with this kind of saying goodbye, as if to say this is kind of just one person you're singing about or this is one relationship and this is your moment where you're both having to say goodbye because one of you is passing away. Well, The Blackest Crow, it, it was something that we um, came about uh, during the pandemic. During the pandemic, when we could not travel or when in the lockdowns, we would... Uh, entertain ourselves by sitting together and singing our favorite songs in harmony like uh, Danielle playing the auto harp and me playing an acoustic guitar and we would sing like favorite folk tunes or you know by by songwriters or lyricists that we really uh, admire and uh, we came about this Irish traditional and uh, and we love it and uh, it is a song of farewell uh, but it also is you know, it is an incredible ode, uh, homage, you know, like to... To love and friendship. To love and friendship. Yeah, and, uh, so it's like, you know, no matter what kind of um, separation you have, be it space, because we, you know, we get separated from our friends a lot because we're traveling so much. So there's a lot of goodbyes in our life. Yes. We say goodbye to friends that we won't see for... We haven't seen some friends for almost seven close friends for seven years because we haven't been back to the states so it's it's an ode to friendship and and the goodbyes within a friendship too and and you know how it kind of tears at your heart <laughs> yeah was that the last song you wrote for this album uh, we didn't write it it's a it's a it's an irish traditional oh sorry yes <laughs> the clue was in the uh <laughs> <laughs> Irish traditional, yes. I know it was kind of, you know, it's just interesting. When you perform it live, are you running it through in the same order that the album? No, 
No, we, we, were, we will usually uh, create a set list that um, spans like all our albums or different uh, energies and ups and downs. And uh, we will, we, I mean, we're just starting to rehearse the, the tracks of this album and we're going to premiere, we're going to play the, some of the songs for the first time on our coming up tour of Canada. Um, and, you know, like, for instance, also um, The Current, the album Current, which we recorded in Blackpool, and the album The Silver Threshold, both yeah. of those were very fast. Like, there were a lot of songs that were very fast, because before that, on our albums Minoteca and Passeverancia, we had extremely slow songs. And so for this album, another thought was that we'd like to do a couple of mid-tempo songs. <laughs> so that was another thing that was kind of a theme of this album. And so now when we do our shows, we will also add some very slow and some very fast songs to, you know, enhance the mid-tempo ones. Yes. With that first album that you recorded together, was that a little bit of a, a spiritual exploration between the between what you were doing personally and with you with your relationship at the same time? Was do you mean Hitman's Heel or Passeverancia? Yeah, the latter one, yes, that's the one. The one that has the, the rhino on the cover. The rhino one, that's right. That's Yeah, sorry, well, <laughs> it was recorded in the Mojave Desert in a, uh, in a town called 29 Palms right next to Joshua Tree. And that is a, um, a location that is known for its energies. It's, it's an energy spot. And so um, we were very much uh interested in meditation and doing yoga and uh, our whole um transformation also uh this year we've been sober for 10 years and uh, so this 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 whole thing i mean it's it's the desert the desert does these things to you you know but Jesus, it was also, Jesus went into the desert. He but did, he did, he did. <laughs> but it was also well, because of our uh, nomadic tr journey. We, we noticed quickly that if we want to be able to survive this kind of lifestyle, we have to become um, very disciplined. And we realized that we wouldn't be able to drink because it just drains you too much. And, you know, when you're doing shows all the time, everybody wants to drink with you. And it's just like impossible to be a nomad and be drunk all the time. Yes. And it was kind of like a cleansing. The whole journey was a sort of cleansing, an interesting cleansing. And experiencing this in the desert was was great. It was because the desert has this kind of biblical um, feeling to it. And also it's kind of like the cradle of mankind. And there's a lot of interesting spots in Joshua Tree that deal with these kind of themes. So that all kind of... Um, our album was very influenced by all of these things. Yes. I, I had this really funny uh, mind-altering experience. We were recording in, in this old barn and one of the the walls of, of the barn in the middle of the desert was made all completely out of glass and it was just getting dark and it, and it had rained because it does rain in the desert once in a while and I stepped outside like on the footmat of the, the door of the barn and I was overwhelmed by the smell or the scent, the perfume, going back to the beginning of our conversation. And uh, 
And I, I, I literally thought that somebody had, you know, must have dropped a bottle of aftershave or something on the doormat or because it was so intense. And then I realized, oh, it is the smell of the desert, of course, you know, like the, the cacti and, and all of that. And the other stupid thing that I did, I reached for my, I reached for my mobile phone. I, I had the impulse of trying to document that experience, uh, realizing at the same time, wait a minute, I cannot document this. It's, it's a smell. It's a and, smell. And these are the kind of things that happen to you when you're in the desert. Yes, it's interesting because I've, I've been to 29 Palms and, and Joshua Tree a few times. And I think that's where, I think we went on one bit of the road where someone said, oh, that's where Graham Parsons, you know, that's that's the place that he died in that place. And also we went to some spiritual place where, um, I mean, to be honest, they were a bit extreme. Um, but then we had a gong bath and also everybody ah! seemed to... So everybody was, was there too. Oh, the, the Integratron. The yeah. Integratron. Yes, yes. <laughs> actually, every... It was funny. We met Jim Sklavunas there <laughs> and we did the sound bath together, which was great. <laughs> it was good. But everybody in a slightly casual way just talked about going on. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, we just went on a spaceship and then, you know, had a nice time. And then we and it's like just as someone was talking about going to the shop and buying a pint of milk. It's like, yeah. So you, you had to sort of go, yes, nice. That's lovely for you. Um <laughs> <laughs> when were you there? When, when, when were you? The well, that was time? probably 2019. You know, the, May 2019. Right. It was one of those the sacred mountain as well. The, the place, uh, the uh, the sacred mountain. There's this guy who built this entire like like Christian outsider art thing. There called, I think it's called Sacred Mountain. It's it's by the by the Salton Sea. There's a place called Bombay Beach. You pass that place, and then you you go out to. <laughs> to the sacred mountain and it's it's in, in a crazy crazy place yes we we've sort of yeah i didn't that doesn't ring a bell but you know we sort of try and head to all these you know so like sedona we went to that place because of you know a certain idea of you know energy and you know a certain vibe to it and and visited you know lots of those so-called set of sacred sites which is always fascinating being in england is you know all the stuff about ley lines and earth energy and and so i've always been attracted but the desert i find good because it sort of clears the brain there's something kind of after a while there is just the clutter just keeps going down and down doesn't it and you have this kind of zen quality at the same time thinking yes i can understand the eagles now i kind of get the you know because that's the soundtrack of that kind of when you're driving whereas you can't imagine joy division in the desert can you really <laughs> <laughs> now you need interest you need the you need the terrible mancunian weather for that <laughs> true they just could not write that lyric. but it is i mean i agree that that sense of kind of you know, cleansing is quite powerful. You know, I found it, you know, there was something about the air, the quality, just the space, you know, and also visually it, things weren't cluttered. It was just like this, oh, wow, look, there's a cactus. And But yeah. the gong the gong bath experience was just magical, you know, it was just really nice. So, um, yeah. Oh, and then just, then just walking around in the park, when you when you uh, walk in the park, you get a, a water bottle um, as you enter the, the park, the, the, you know, the nature reserve. And they tell you, when you have finished half of the bottle, you have to turn around. Oh, yes. Good point. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, these kind of survival uh, techniques and, um, you know, it's it's something that is, is kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's real, you know, it, it, it changes you. <laughs> it does change you because you do really need to drink a lot of water and not <laughs> alcohol because otherwise your body's just going to, you know, 
and the crows will come and pick your eyes out and lizards. So, um, yes, it is It is good for that. I would imagine a lot of people have cleaned up, which is a very different atmosphere to the albums than you made at the turn of the decade, Current and the Silver Threshold. So did you, you were sort of in different countries at this stage? Uh, yes, The Current was recorded in, in Blackpool on the northwest coast of England, uh, this like decrepit uh, amusement park um, place by the sea. Um, and uh, the Silver Threshold was recorded in the first hardcore lockdown, basically, uh, in the winter when... In know, Berlin. In Berlin, when it was just like really brutally cold and you couldn't go anywhere. And, and that's when we did the... Yes. Did you, did you sort of feel a bit like that film Dark Star, that you were potentially going to go mad during that period? Not really. We kind of felt as if... Um, as if mankind had suddenly gotten the possibility of um, stopping and breathing and thinking, you know, like um, there's that 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 um, poem. I think it's by Ezra Pound. Um, the the space between the in and out of a breath, um, and that's kind of what we felt. We felt like it was a threshold all of a sudden. It was like somebody was saying, "Okay, everybody, stop now." and think about what's happening. You've got a year and a half now to think about everything that's happening around you. And then we're gonna go back to our normal and let's see what you do then. So that why, that's why we called it the silver threshold because we really had the feeling um, that it was like one of those moments where history could be changed maybe to the positive or maybe go on into its destructive um, was run down towards there hell. Was, yeah, There was great potential. And all our albums were kind of like that. I mean, you know, um, we did a, an album before the current called Minateka, where we also had the feeling, you know, there's the writing on the wall and people should start waking up and thinking about what's happening around us. So um, basically from coming from the desert, then going through the Minateka was re um, recorded in a, in a church in Austria, a very dark church in Austria, also in the winter where it was very cold and then Blackpool, and then back to Berlin during the pandemic, a lot of these albums were about, hey, let's think about what's happening, what's happening with all of us, you know? We tried to kind of convey that musically. Yes. Do you feel, on a, on a sort of um, a creative level as well as spiritual, holding onto each other is, is kind of the key to the survival of, for the rest of your life? And the music is another part of that journey. Yes, holding on to each other and also um, holding on to oneself. That you have to, you have to find a equilibrium, and you have to find a a center within yourself because the outside will not be able to provide that for you. And and that realization, I think, is is crucial. Yes. Did you um did you engage in the album Midnight Express when you were? recording this last album what's that no Did, i don't know midnight express that's the turkish prison who would you call when you get into turkish prison <laughs> <laughs> no there was a really good soundtrack and i just wondered because of um morioni um yes he that was his kind of sound i just wondered if you'd listened to that album around the time and just and any of his work kind of Did you know, any of do the soundtrack for midnight express i'm pretty sure Oh wow! I didn't. I don't realize. Yeah, well, I mean, we we love Ennio Morricone, and uh, and there is uh, also my my favorite 
my favorite uh, Anil Kona music actually is the uh, inquiries against a citizen above all suspicion. I think it's the English. The English <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I will have to check that out. And then after after this, well, this album's coming out. What do you have sort of for your next project? That's kind of on the in the back of your mind. Well, I mean, first of all, we have to perform this. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to do it. We're rehearsing at the moment. And it's always, because our music has so many things within it, it's always quite a battle to find out how we're going to be able to perform it with only with two people. And I just finished the one video for one of the songs, Schwarze Milch. And I thought, because usually in our videos, it's only the two of us. And I thought, this time I'm going to actually put somebody with each instrument. I'm going to represent each instrument just to see how many people would be on stage if actually we would have somebody playing each instrument. And I was shocked at how many people would be actually on stage. So um, we kind of have to work on that, figure out how to do it. And then we're gonna to be touring with it this year and next year and um, you know, work on all kinds of other projects while we're doing that preparing stuff. But basically that's our main project. This is your main thing. So most of it all, you know, Canada, and then it's France, Germany, Hungary, Hungary, and Netherlands, Belgium. Are there any potential UK dates coming up? We're hoping, we're, we're trying to, we're working on uh, London. And I mean, we would love to tour the UK more. It's It's not very easy. Um, but we're working on it. We've told the bookers and news has told the bookers we really, really want to go and play there. Right. <laughs> we have to play in Scotland and in um in Ireland too. So see what happens. Yes. Well, that would be fantastic. Well, look, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this interview. It's been fantastic. And um, yes, it's been brilliant discovering your back catalogue as well. So um there you thank go. You. But there you go. Well, look, have a lovely day and hope um hope you have a good time in Canada and it all goes well. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, thank anyway. Take care and have a lovely day. See Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Nice meeting you. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that, dear listener, as you could guess, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to both Danielle and also Alexander Hack for giving me the time for that interview. As I said, um, probably at the beginning, you might have forgotten, but they've got a new album, Keepsakes, that has just come out. And also some live dates coming out as well for the autumn, but I'll put all those in the notes. This is the C86 Show, David East. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.